How many of you have gone to the fridge or to the, the pantry and opened it up and said, there's nothing to eat in here? Yeah, I saw a hand. I'm not going to point it out. <laughs> no, I've done that. You know, and sometimes I've gone to the fridge and I've looked in there and I said, oh, we just don't have anything to eat. And I close it and I go over to the pantry and I open it up and I look around. There's nothing to eat in here. And I go back to the fridge and I open it up. Have you done this before? And I look in there and I'm like, there's just nothing to eat. And I go back to the pantry. You know what the definition of insanity is, right? Well, we're not going to go there. And so I, so I look at the, the pantry again and then I, maybe I stop for a while and I sit around and I think, what are we going to do? I go back, I look at the fridge. Basically, it's time to go to the store, right? <laughs> I think it's time to go to the store. But you know what? When we do that, most of the time, there really is something to eat, right? I mean, okay, come on, admit it, right? There's some, there's some piece of food. At the time when we say, there's nothing to eat in here, we still could probably survive for another week or so <laughs> if we couldn't go to the store, if we were willing to eat whatever we had there, you know, can of beans, something, you know. Uh, but, you know, what if you would be in a situation where there really was not one piece of food for you to eat. What if you opened up the fridge and the pantry and, you know, there was just not one thing? And what if you looked at your bank account and it had only zeros and you looked in your wallet and a moth flew out and, <laughs> and you said, what am I going to do? Well, you know what? Uh, there's a story about a gentleman. He is a uh, well-known Christian missionary from the 1800s. His name is George Mueller. This man, he had the privilege of caring for over 120,000 orphaned children in his tenure. And he also traveled over around 200,000 miles by ship to 42 different countries to try to spread the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man did some amazing stuff. But there's one story where when he was taking care of the children, they got up in the morning and there was not one piece of food in that building. And there was no money to buy food either. And so here he has these children standing in line expecting food. Obviously, you're expecting some breakfast, at least a little something, and he didn't have a crumb to give them. And I, I imagine, uh, just thinking about my own reaction, I would probably be pretty stressed. Um, I, I might be a little bit angry at the situation. Man, I have all this, and why do? Why is this trouble come upon me? And I don't know how to feed all these kids. This is so stressful. And but you know what, good good old George did. He he looks at the kids and he says, "Well, children, you know that we mustn't be late for school." And so he raised his hands and he said, "Lord." We thank you for what you will do. Amen. And not long after the prayer, there was a knock at the door. And he went over and he opened up the door and there was the local baker. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I, I just could not sleep last night because I felt that God was impressing me that you did not have food to feed these children. And so I got up at 2 a.m. and I baked all this bread to come and give it to you. 
And Mr. Mueller said, thank you, sir. I, we really appreciate this. And, and he got the bread and he took it in. And, you know, feeling grateful in his heart, he closed the door. And scarcely had he gone away from the door that, that there was another knock at the door. And he comes over and he opens up the door and it's the milkman. You know, this is a, this is a small town, I suppose, back in the, back in the times where, where, where there was the milkman, right? <laughs> and the baker. Okay. So there was the milkman. He had been going on his route. And his cart had broken down. He, it wouldn't go further. And, and, and he said, sir, my milk cart has broken down in front of your orphanage here. And I was just wondering if I could give you the milk out of my cart so I could go and get my cart fixed. And Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mueller, of course, accepted with uh, great gratitude and and you see this is the interesting thing is is that Mr. Mueller another fact about him is that if he ever had a need he never told another human soul that he had a need and he made that commitment uh he thought that this is the way I need to live and he said if I have a need I'm going to ask God and I'm just going to leave it with him and he would ask God and there were situations where there weren't food there was there wasn't food there wasn't money nothing and God would come through. See, this is an amazing story. I just, I love it. And I'll tell you what, it's a rebuke to me because I would have been stressing out a little bit if I didn't have any food for these kids. Now, come on. Uh, but, but it's an amazing story. Uh, a faith and trust in God, but also of great thankfulness. Because did you catch at the beginning that when there was nothing, not one crumb, not one little penny or whatever the currency was then, he was able to raise his hands to God and say, we thank you for what you will do. We don't know what it is. Well, that's okay. Uh, but we're just thankful because we know that you're going to take care of us. And that kind of thankfulness, friends, is to me a great miracle. And it is a thankfulness that I want to have, being thankful for the unseen being thankful for what I do not have, being thankful when the need is not yet filled, being thankful. But what if showing great thankfulness was a little bit different than even this story? What if all you had was just a small amount of food and showing great thankfulness meant giving some of it up to honor the Lord? We're going to look at an interesting passage today. It was read in your hearing by our brother Uzo, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. A story about thankfulness in Genesis. Yes, indeed, a story of thankfulness. This text, I would like to read it again for you. Catch the thankfulness if you can. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Did you catch the thankfulness in there? 
I hope you found it. We'll talk about it. Noah built an altar. They had just come through the greatest catastrophe that has ever happened on this earth. There has never been such a horrendous event as a worldwide flood to ravage and destroy the face of the earth and to sweep away wickedness. They had just come through a great ordeal. And you say, but but Pastor Scott, they were in a big boat. No problem, right? It was probably like a cruise. You know, they were they were playing shuffleboard. They were, you know, <laughs> they, <laughs> they were playing shovelboard. No, <laughs> mucking those stalls. No, you see, for the, the waters took some time to rise up to the height uh, to get above the mountains, but for five months, they prevailed. It said the waters prevailed on the earth. That means there was just... One large, boundless ocean over the entire face of the earth. Now, they say in sailing, if you go on a cruise ship, whatever, if you're on the water, if you're on the open sea, it's just kind of known that you're going to have a little bit more of a rough ride than if you're shielded by islands and other things in the sea. And so if you're in the open sea, it's going to be kind of rough. But just think, this was not just an open sea. It was the only sea, and it was completely open. There was no land to break up the current. A mighty swirling current, and all these foaming billows were, all, were constantly on the earth. And, and this, poor, this poor group were tossed about. Now, you think that you've had a rough time on the sea. You think you've been seasick. I don't know if I would want to get seasick with a bunch of animals in a big boat for five months or more. It was not easy, but their faith held strong to God. It was not an easy ride, but they were thankful that they were still alive. But they had come through a great ordeal. And it would have been natural after the waters subsided, after being in the ark for a whole year, it would have been natural for them to start thinking about their needs, right? The first thing, well, I mean, obviously you got to get out of this ark. You have to build uh, a home, some shelter. It's it's just normal, you know. You need to find fresh water, get your food situation sorted out. That's the responsible thing to do. And anyone who wouldn't do that would be foolhardy, right? Irresponsible. But see, Noah does something incredibly. Amazing to me. See, he goes out of the ark and the animals come out with him. And what does he build first? An altar. He builds an altar first. This is his immediate action. And not only does he build an altar, I mean, that's that would be sweet, right? I mean, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, I built an altar. Okay, now I'm going to go take care of myself, my own needs. But no, he doesn't just build an altar. He does something amazing to me. Did you catch that? Sometimes we just read the Bible and say, oh, yeah, okay, that's great. And we don't really think about the implications of, of these amazing statements. You see, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And then what did he do? He took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So you remember that in our last sermon, when they took the animals on the ark, they took two of every unclean and they took seven of every clean. 
So this means that of every type of clean animal, there were only seven on the entire earth at this moment. Only seven. And these animals were their only source of food until the vegetation would grow back and God gave them permission to eat of this flesh food because there was nothing else to eat. All their provisions in the ark had almost certainly been used up and this is all they had. And you say, well, seven, I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of a lot, right? I, actually, if you think about the, the amount of clean animals, I don't know. It's not all the animals in the entire world. And, and you have to leave some so that they can procreate so you don't you know, make them go extinct. <laughs> That's kind of a stressful thing. I don't want to make these animals go extinct. And so this was their source of food. This, they didn't have very many animals. They only had seven. This would have been a lot of work to do. Have you ever thought about how much work it is to just offer one animal sacrifice my goodness it's not just you know you just don't toss them on the altar and light a fire and then say thank you lord uh, there, there's you have to go through the ugly process of, of killing them and letting the blood drain out and you have to clean them and, and pull some of the parts out and uh, i'm not going to go into all the horrible details but i mean it's it's in the bible it's it's something that they had to do and, and it was a lot of work for every one of every clean animal that they had. I don't know about you, but I would have thought, you know what? I've just been on a boat for a year. I, I mean, I just need a break, I think. And, and if I'm going to expend such effort, I might as well just, you know, I need to build my house. I need to take care of my family. But no, Noah said, hold on a second. I have just come through the greatest catastrophe in the world, but I have been preserved through the greatest catastrophe that has ever happened in the world. I'm going to give thanks to God. And you see, and you may want to ask yourself, why did God say seven of every clean animal? Is it just because God likes sevens? I mean, that's just kind of what we, what we think. You know, God just really loves sevens, and maybe he really does just love sevens, and and it's, it's just, that's the end of it, period. File that away. But maybe, maybe also, though, he had told Noah to take this odd number, not just because he likes sevens, but because he was providing Noah with a means to give him thanks. Because if you think about seven, an odd number, one didn't have its partner. Now you can go in, well, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's not like people and, you know, more than one male can, you know, breed with a, another female animal. Okay, 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 okay. But, but he emphasized this animal with its mate, you know, as he went on, its partner, right? And he had an odd number. Now, you could have, now I would have looked at it maybe and said, there's an odd number of animals. This is perfect. Because the, 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 I have six, two, two, and two that, that I can just have for just breeding. And we'll get that started, and then I have one. One for, for every kind of animal that I can eat. We'll have, we should have enough food with all these animals. Just, it's just eight of us, right? We should have enough food, and we can let the others breed. And, and this is, God has provided our food that where we don't have to mess with the couples of other animals. Hallelujah! But Noah saw it differently. He said, no. I believe he looked and he saw seven. One doesn't have a mate. And he said, I can take one from every group of these clean animals and give it to the Lord. He saw it differently. 
he saw this imperfect pairing, you know, this, this extra one as just another excuse where I can give to the Lord. This is something I can do for him. You see, uh, you know, uh, Noah could have very well been justified to use it for himself, but he said, no, this I need to show thankfulness to the Lord, and this is a perfect opportunity. See, sometimes we have some certain situations where we have some, maybe some excess funds. Isn't that nice? When you're, when you're trying to balance your budget and then you've taken care of all your bills and all the, everything and you have a little left over and you say, boy, man, what, what can I do with this money, right? What can I do? I mean, maybe I'll go shopping or maybe I'll, you know, go out to eat a few times. I mean, you know, I, and I'm not saying that stuff's bad, but when we have this excess, when we have something that, that we don't need to pay something else, we a lot of times say, boy, what can I do? with these funds for me for fun and you should have fun but I'm just bringing up this interesting example that Noah had this little imperfect matchup number and he didn't say what can I do for me with this he said what can I do for God with this maybe I have a little bit left over time sometimes and a lot of times I think what can I do for myself with this time. Sometimes it's hard to think, what can I do for God with this excess? What, how can I praise God with this excess? You see, Noah gave a costly gift in thanks to God, a very costly gift, because he got off this boat, friends, and it wasn't like walking out of your house. There was no building. There was no Publix, no Walmart, no Sam's Club, no Costco, no nothing. There was nothing. No other human being alive. No one to run to and say, hey, do you have this? Because we don't have it. We're running on hard times. Can we borrow this from you? There was nobody. And instead of thinking about his needs, instead of making sure that he covered his needs, he gave of what he could have used to supply his needs to the Lord in thankfulness and still further trust that God would take care of his needs. Because if God can get me through a great catastrophe like the flood, he can sure provide for my food. But was God done? You see, uh, if you read the rest of this story, you see that God wasn't done. It, you see, we cannot outthink, thank God's blessings. We cannot possibly keep up with what God is doing. We cannot possibly say enough thanks for the things that God is giving us, all of the blessings He's showering upon us, because He's always getting ahead. He's always doing so much more than we can keep up with, and God wasn't done. You see, God wasn't done. There, He did more for Noah and for us. It, we are still blessed recipients of these blessings. He promised never to curse the ground again. You see, the ground had been cursed because of Adam's sin, because of Cain's sin, and now the third time the ground was cursed because of the great and horrible desolation of the flood. And God says, you know what? I am never going to curse the ground again. I'm never going to do that. Even though mankind may be wicked all the days of his life, I will not do this 
again. I'm not going to make it any harder for them. And I'm really glad he, he, uh, he made that promise. Because it's hard enough. If you are gardeners, you know it's hard enough to grow something. My lands. I mean, I, I've said this before, but you know, how do you know if, it's a, if the plant growing is a plant you want or if it's a weed? We just ho- grab hold of it and you give a light tug, and if it comes out, it was a plant you wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and the weeds are run deep. They're like to the bedrock of the earth, you know. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to almost set off a bomb to get off some of these weeds, okay? You know, the ground is not easy to work with. It's not easy to grow things. I know that uh, one of my friends in Michigan, he was always trying so hard, you know, he would, he would try to help his apple trees, but they were always getting diseased, and the apples would be all deformed, and the grapeberry moths were eating up his grapes, and, but he would just, ever persevering, he would keep going on, saying, you know what, but it's okay, we'll have a good year next year. You know, it's okay. And he would just keep going on, trusting the Lord. And But man, it is not easy. And I'm glad God made that promise because, you know, even the way we farm depletes the ground of its nutrients too sometimes when we farm on a mass scale. God, I'm so grateful that you did not curse the ground again. But not only that, he blessed them in their further survival. Now, now let's see if you remember this statement. Maybe this has been said before. In, in chapter 9, verse 1, he says uh, to Noah and his sons, he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Has that ever been said to anyone else in the Bible? Adam and Eve, the very first people in their perfect innocence, and yet God still in his graciousness says, I'm going to bless you as I bless them. I want the earth to be repopulated. I don't want to blot out mankind from existence. Be fruitful and multiply. Make more people. Make more people. You will survive. But not only that, think about this. Think about if you just got out of a big boat and you have all these lions and tigers and bears, oh my, coming out of the, of the uh, ark, and, and you look around and there's eight of you, and there are all these animals, these huge beasts, right? And, and, and you know, today, the, the animals usually steer clear of us, and we'll find out why, um, but they often just try to get away from us. But I think that before what we're about to read, the animals were not as motivated to steer clear of us or to not hurt human beings as they often are today. Even though there are still attacks, it's not in abundance. And it's interesting because when, when the Bible talks about in, I believe it was chapter 6, that the earth was filled, and I told you the word violence literally means bloodshed. The earth was full of bloodshed. I believe that it wasn't only the people filling the earth with bloodshed, but because of the intense cruelty of mankind against the animals, I'm sure that they were a little bit motivated to shed some blood themselves. It was a horrible thing. And so Noah's looking and he's remembering these fierce beasts that could just tear him apart in just, just a few moments. And he's fearing for the life, uh, the life of his family. 
And God, in his tender compassion, he says, listen, Noah, the fear of you, in in verse 2, chapter 9, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. You know, even though people are attacked, like in shark attacks, often it's understood that it's a mistake. You know, the shark bites and they're, oh my goodness, that's a person, run away. You know, I mean, often the animals, even when they do attack, it's a lot of times by mistake. Sometimes because the wickedness of the earth is getting greater and greater, animals are starting to hunt people, uh, but it is not as, as normal as it must have been before the flood. And God promises, I'm going to make them afraid of you. Does it make any sense that a lion would be afraid of me? That a lion would want to steer clear or a bear? A bear could tear me apart. Actually, down in, in, uh, in Crawfordville, I've, I have, we have seen some bears walking through our neighborhood. There was, there was a black bear. We looked out the back window. Now, he was kind of cute. Um, but, but he was a smaller one, okay? You know, so I could, so we could say that, but he was just kind of walking through, looking around in the backyard, and we said, oh my, we go out back there and we kind of throw out some, you know, some peelings and stuff. What if the bear was there in the woods and we hit him with some peelings? What would he do? Would he run away? Would he pounce on us? I don't know. And of course, we're thinking, oh my, we're thinking, thinking, right? And, and I was driving, I had just left our place to come up, up uh, to Tallahassee and a, and a really big bear. Now, I'm talking big. This is like North Carolina black bear big, all right, where I grew up. And he just was galloping across the road. You know how they're so big, how when you see them on the nature shows, their their fur is all shaking as they're running. And it's like, whew, that looks scary, right? There are all these bears around. But you know what's interesting is almost all the time, no matter how big they are, if you are just making noise, that's why they say, you know, they, they say have a bear whistle. You know, if you make noise, they're going to be like, ooh, that's a person coming. Let's just get out of here. We don't like being around them. And they go away. And, and it was kind of funny. I, uh, in the book, Wild at Heart, if any of you have read that, you, you know the story. But this, the gentleman who's writing said that they were going into Alaskan bear country where there are grizzlies and all that, just as a manly adventure. And, and they were walking into the bear country. And here come these other gentlemen leaving. And these gentlemen had... You know, each had a couple big Bowie knives in their sheaths, and they had some pretty high-powered guns with a lot of ammo and, you know, some thick clothing and all of this, and they were coming out, you know, hey, guys, hey, and crossed each other's paths. And then the man writing the book says he was enumerating all the things that he said that they had, and he said, and we had a whistle. They felt real manly, right? <laughs> you know, go away, bear. But you know, the interesting thing is that the bears will often go away. Isn't that crazy? It's, it doesn't make sense. The only way it makes sense is that God made a promise. Is that in general, he was going to make these fierce beasts just want to be away from us. We don't want to be around you. The, and, and, and this was to show them that God was watching out for their survival. He was giving them a blessing that they needed. And and also, of course, I mentioned earlier, allowing them to eat the animals, providing for food, even though he had originally not intended for them to do so. But then there was one great promise, one promise that uh, that went above all the other ones, right? He says in his word, he promises, 
I will never again destroy the whole earth by a flood. Now, there have been other floods, right? There are local floods, there are tsunamis, all of that. But God promises, I will not destroy the whole earth again by another flood. Isn't that a nice promise? (laughs) That even when we see floodwaters rising on the news, we don't have to worry that we are going to be swept away. The the inhabitants of the earth before the flood, they could not escape it since they rejected the mercy of the ark. No matter where the water started, no matter where the geysers were coming up from, you could not get away. The tops of the highest mountains were no refuge, but we know that today when we see a flood, as long as we're not in that local place, it's not going to overspread the whole earth. God made a promise. He made a promise so that when the, the people, especially right after the flood, they wouldn't be in constant terror. Imagine if there was such a cataclysmic event as to destroy the whole earth, and if there was any little sign of anything similar to that, it would tempt you to have an incredible amount of fear that it was going to happen to you. But God didn't only give the promise that he wasn't going to bring another flood. See, God God knows you. He knows me. He knows that we need a little extra help sometimes. <laughs> he knows that sometimes we can get easily scared. Sometimes our faith can waver. And so not only did he promise, he said, I am going to give you a special token of divine favor. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when a storm cloud comes, and I imagine when, he's, when he said, when a storm cloud comes, they said, there will be another storm cloud? You know, because it had never happened before. And there, there are going to be more storm clouds. And, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of inward fear. And God says, I am going to put something in the cloud. So that when a storm comes, you will know that even in the midst of the fearsome blackness, lightning and thunder and rain, that I have not forgotten my covenant. Isn't it a beautiful thing to see a rainbow? We look at it now most of the time, yeah, rainbow, okay, great. And we just keep going. You know, but when I think about the incredible gift it is, and even though we we are so far removed from the flood, and so we're kind of desensitized, it's like, ah, oh, we know there's not going to be another flood. We know the storm's going to pass, etc. But but I just think with I try to look at those rainbows through the eyes of Noah and his family, and I just think about what a beautiful gift it is. And now I know there's some scientific person out there right now who says, oh, come on, the the rainbow only comes because the light bends through it. Etc., etc. Come on, Pastor. It's a natural thing. Well, don't you think God sets up the natural order of things? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, maybe God decided He was going to change up a little thing so the light would bend and show the colors. I don't know how He did it, but all I know is that it says He did. He took His rainbow and, he's, and it says he, he would bend the bow and put it in the clouds for our benefit. And so you see, Noah had given thanks of every animal, clean animal, right? Just given thanks for being alive through the flood. Thank you. Thank you for keeping us alive, for keeping your promise. And then God's like, oh, Noah, you're such a, uh, you and your family, thank you so much for thanking me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like, you know, five up you 
um, I have this blessing and this blessing and th- thank you. Th- can you slow down? I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping up and I have this one too and this one and this one and this blessing. All these blessings are just going to keep going all through the end of time. And how, Lord, how can I ever thank you for all of these things? Well, you can't. You can't ever keep up because he keeps giving too much. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And so a spirit of constant thankfulness, even though God knows that we can't keep up, brings joy to his heart. Because you see, in addition to all of these incredible blessings that God has given to humanity, uh, first to Noah and his family, and it extends down through to us, we still get to experience the ripples of these blessings. There are so many personal blessings that he gives to each one of us. How many times do you think in those times when you've been driving in your car and you've been absorbed in thought and not paying attention, how many of those times do you think that you could have died and God kept you alive? Maybe you were you started to kind of weave into the next lane on the interstate and you whoa, you jerk back just in time when a you know a car is getting over or the times when you're both changing lanes into the same lane and woo, okay, and the other guy doesn't see? Yeah. I think God is like, excuse me, you're about to die. Can you please? Thank you. You know, I mean, God watches out for you. Or the times when maybe there's, maybe there's a horrible virus going around, a horrible bacteria, and he knows that if you get it, it could, it could almost cost you your life, and he shields you from getting it. How many times has God blessed us without us even knowing? I know that as a foolish younger man, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I would like to drive as far as I can and never stop. And there was one time where I was getting so tired that I just I had all, both windows down. I had the radio playing, and I was, and you, where you have this, and you're. I'm awake. I'm a, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm awake, you know, and you're swerving all over the place and then there was one moment where all of a sudden I don't know what happened, but my I just went out of consciousness and, and then I thank God for him telling the the uh highway guys to put those rumble strips on the side. They're annoying sometimes, you know, and you just accidentally ah, you know, those silly things. But but you know, I woke up to guardrail and and I had to, you know, and I had to swerve back over into my lane. Because I was being foolish. Well, that was God keeping me safe. There are many times, I think if we all had the opportunity, we could list them over and over again where God has kept us safe. Not only kept keeping us safe, though, but where God has just given things just to make you happy. A thing that you maybe didn't even need, but God says, because I love you, I just want to see you smile. I just want to give you this because I, I just have joy in bringing you joy. There are so many things, friends, but are we remembering to thank Him? Where is our thankfulness? Because uh, I know that at least in other parts of life, I've noticed that this is just kind of what we do in general, is that if something is good, we just kind of take it for granted and we say, yeah, that's how it should be. That's right. When we get good service at a restaurant, that's right, that's how it should be. And we just accept it and we move on and we give a tip, you know, all that. But you know what? I started to realize it doesn't have to be that good. 
I may expect it to be that good, but it didn't have to be. I'm grateful that it was that good. And so, you know, instead of doing what a lot of us have maybe done and complain when it's bad, you know, there are maybe, I'm pretty sure there are some of us who have said, manager, I need to talk to the manager. This was horrible, you know. This, this, this service or this thing, bad. But how many times do we say, can I talk to the manager? I want to say something good. I've tried to remember to do that, to be thankful for the good things and not take them for granted. Are we holding back any thanks to God? Are we being thankful like Noah was and not just giving not just giving something that was easy for him to give, but giving of the some of the only animals left on the entire earth, some that he would need to eat from. Great stress. But are we being thankful to God? Are we sacrifice? Are we willing to be sacrificial in our thanks? Because sometimes that will bring the greatest joy when God gives us an opportunity to be thankful. And give up something from ourselves. Where is your thankfulness? Where is my thankfulness? And I ask in this season, in this season, will we remember, will we call to mind this need to be thankful? And not just as a duty, but just reminding ourselves that all of these things should call forth such great joy from our hearts. And so it's my hope It's my hope that you will reflect on all God has done for you and that you will give him praise. And that not only now, but that we will all make it a regular activity to give God praise. It may even be a good idea as a practical way to remember to at the end of the day, maybe just keep a little journal, and at the end of the day, sit down and say, what good things have happened to me today? This one, this one, this one, and this one. It will bring courage to your heart, and it will bring, it'll, it'll help remind you to thank God for them. Just a practical idea. But whatever way it works for you, show God your thanks. Give Him glory, because He deserves it. He deserves even so much more than we can give, but that's all we can give is what we can. (laughs) He deserves it, friends. Will you, will you thank him?